Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. We're in Jonah chapter two, and it's on your. And then Pat Murrah is going to read this to us. So we're just going to read Jonah two into three. We're not going to read the first bit on the sheet just now. Uh, Jonah two, verse one to ten. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, "In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help." And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swept about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down, the earth beneath barred me forever, but you, Lord my God, have brought me up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Pat's going to come up, Pat Tice this time. I'm going to pray. We have lots of Patricks. So let me pray for Pat, and then uh, over to you, sir. Father, we thank you for the book of Jonah. We thank you that uh, you work through all kinds of unlikely characters. And uh, we pray that you'd speak to us today about what it is to be rescued. So please fill Pat with your spirit to speak. And please fill us with your spirit to listen and do your, uh, whatever we hear from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Steve. Let me read first three lines of Jonah. Jonah 1, 1 to 3 at the top there. See it there? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. So do you see that? Go, says the Lord to Jonah. Obey me, says the Lord to Jonah. For Jonah, this meant go to Nineveh. But no, 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 says Jonah, I won't do it. I can't do it. And Jonah does what he wants instead. And he goes to Tarshish. Now, we don't know what was so good about Tarshish. We don't know why Jonah ends up going to Tarshish. Okay, we, I mean... We can guess, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps there's something special about the place there must be. Maybe it's that Jonah has a spot in Tarshish um, that just has the perfect pint. You know, it, it just, just comes out the keg really nicely in Tarshish. Maybe that's what he's got at Tarshish. Or maybe, maybe it's that Tarshish has a lovely little Lynx golf course, a lovely course right on the coast, lovely sea views, nice hard greens, wide open fairways. You know, you can really get at it with your driver. I don't know. We don't know what happens in Tarshish. But the point is not that Tarshish is a bad place. It's that if you see in Jonah 1, 1 to 3, the Lord makes it very clear. He says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, nah, you'll be all right, God. And he goes to Tarshish instead. But in Jonah 3, so you skip over Jonah 2, down to Jonah 3, this happens. Look at what happens. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the Lord, or obeyed the word of the Lord, and went to Nineveh. So in Jonah chapter 1, go to Nineveh. No, says Jonah, I can't go, I won't go, I'm not going, and he goes the opposite way instead. In Jonah chapter 3, go to Nineveh, this time, yes, Lord, says Jonah, I'll go. An almighty U-turn. So the big question is, why? Right? The, other, the obvious question is, what happens in Jonah 2? Why in chapter 1 does Jonah say, no, I'm not going, I refuse to go. But in chapter 3, he says, yeah, I'm going, I will go. So that's the big question before us today. What changes in Jonah's heart in chapter 2? Um, before, before we get into it then, why don't, why don't I just pray? Um, Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we just pray that you would help us to have open minds and open hearts, and that we'd be changed as, as we think about your word. Amen. So as you look at Jonah 2, as we hear it read, I think it becomes quite obvious, actually, what the big change in Jonah's heart is. I think it becomes quite obvious that in Jonah chapter 2, he realizes that believers are people who have been rescued by the Lord. That's what clicks for him. Believers, followers of the Lord, us lot, we're people who have been rescued by the Lord. That's what changes in Jonah in chapter 2. He gets rescued, and it changes everything. So let's just get into the detail a bit of chapter 2 here. So as we've seen, Jonah gets told to go to Nineveh. Jonah says, no thanks, mate. I'm off to golf course in Tarshish instead. I won't be going to Nineveh. And on the way there, his ship gets caught in an almighty storm. And one thing leads to another. And next thing you know, Jonah is being hurled overboard into the sea. So at this stage, Jonah's little seaside escape to the sleepy town of Tarshish has obviously all gone pretty pear-shaped. Um, and again, as you look at it, it's, it's not clear from the text whether, whether it's just Jonah who's been thrown aboard, overboard, or whether they've um, sent in his new, new set of Callaway Pro-V golf clubs with him. But the point is, he's been sent overboard, and he's thrown into the sea, and Jonah begins to drown. Okay, the holiday Tarshish is over before it's gun, begun. So look at verse 5. Do you see verse 5? Jonah 2, verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. So it's so clear, isn't it? Jonah is stuffed. Okay, he's done for. He's finished. He's drowning. He's helpless. He's hopeless. But what happens? Well, verse 2 happens. If you jump up, verse 2. In my distress, says Jonah, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Jonah is rescued. And it's a pretty spectacular rescue, isn't it? The Lord sends a whale or a giant fish to swallow Jonah and save him in his oxygenated stomach. It's a remarkable and a unique scene, swallowed by a giant fish. But you see, the, the point of this fish is, is that through this fish, the Lord makes a messy and uncomfortable rescue. Through this fish, Jonah is saved. And as, as he's drowning, just before he's swallowed by his fish, as he's drowning, he cries out in verse 4, very important verse, I have been banished from your sight. So he hits that point of banishment, hits that point of separation. And it's ironic, isn't it? It's really ironic. Because actually, life without God is exactly what Jonah was after. In 1 verse 3, we read that Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He wanted God to be out of the picture, gone from his life. And ultimately, in 2 verse 4, that's what he gets, banishment from God. As he sinks deeper and deeper into the ocean, that's what he gets, separation from God. 
And Jonah realizes in that moment that it's bleak. It's hopeless. It's miserable. And from rock bottom, from the lowest of the low, finally, at last, the humble Jonah now cries for help. And the Lord answers in the form of this huge fish. Meaning at the end of verse 9, Jonah can say with all his heart, salvation comes from the Lord. You see that there in verse 9. That's the conclusion. Salvation comes from the Lord. Because he was hopeless. He was stuffed. And then the Lord saves him. And with that, once he realizes that, he's ready. Bang. He's ready to go. Verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This time, when the Lord commands him to go to Nineveh, Well, he goes, doesn't he? He obeys. Do you see that? It's so obvious, isn't it? It's only when Jonah realizes that life without the Lord is hopeless, and it's only when he cries to the Lord for help that he becomes ready to go and do mission. It's only when he admits that the Lord is his personal rescuer that he can then go on and be useful. And so that's the question for us today, question for all of us here. Do we really know that we have been rescued by the Lord? Do we know that? Do we admit it in our hearts that we are people who desperately need rescue? Do we admit that? Have we hit that place that Jonah hits? So I wonder why you're here today. I wonder wonder why you're here. It may be that you're new and you're just sort of poking your head in the door to see what we're all about. Um, And and can I say, if that is you, thank you so much for coming. Uh, We love having new people here. We love having fresh ideas, love having fresh questions. So you're most welcome. And I hope as we do a bit more thinking about Jonah 2 today, Some of your preconceptions about what it is to be a Christian are going to be reshaped. But if you're a regular, I want to ask you, why are you here today? What what are you doing here? As Steve says, you could be watching the GAA final, or or better, you could be watching Merion thirds play against Phoenix fourths. So why why have you come here instead? Well, maybe it's because you feel Christianity is the best route to making you happy and comfortable in this life. Maybe that's you. I know that's... That's for many churchgoers. Maybe it's that you feel it, it is a good moral code and you, know, you take kind of 90% of it. And, and also this whole Sunday commitment with a bit of midweek stuff, it gives your life a nice rhythm, doesn't it? It gives, gives life a nice sort of rhythm, helps you switch off when the pressures of work. Maybe that's why you're here, because the whole church thing just makes life a bit easier and a bit smoother. That could be you. Or, or, or maybe it's that you reckon, you reckon you're a good person and and, and part of being a good person is being religious, being, being in touch with your spiritual side. Not, not in such a way that it's really kind of in people's face or anything, but in a private, modern, and, and spiritual sense. You're here because part of being a good person for you is having this spiritual dimension and coming here meet, meet, meets that need. So maybe that's you. Well, well, at different times in my life, I've certainly fallen into both of those categories, both of them. But the trouble is, if that is you today, Jonah too wants to ask you, do you really get it? Do you really get how bleak life without God is? Do you really get how destructive, how revolting rebellion from God is? No, 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 says Jonah too. No, 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 no. The Lord isn't just some nice social crutch that adds a a nice pleasant flavor to life. No, the Lord is our rescuer. That is the key point. Without him, we are helpless. Without him, we too are drowning. Without the Lord, we become defenseless victims to our own destructive, sinful desires. And and living as victims to our destructive, sinful desires, well, it might work for a time. But ultimately, if we keep living like that, if we don't cry to the Lord for rescue, we get led to a life of insecurity, 
of purposelessness. And then finally, we get led to death itself. And after death, we face eternal separation from him, eternal abandonment. And that is a grim, grim thing. So do you see that being a Christian, well, it's not about being a good bloke. It's not about coming on Sunday to take your mind off work. It's, it's not about being in touch with your, with your spiritual side. No, it's about being someone who recognizes that without the Lord's intervention, we are utterly helpless, utterly stuffed. To be a Christian is to be someone who has cried to God for rescue from a helpless place. So is that you? Have you been rescued? Or are you here for alternative reasons? Oh, I think it's so crucial we get this. So as I've been preparing this, it's just hit home so in such a big way how key it is to my whole worldview of what it is to be a Christian, to realize that I am someone who's been rescued, who needs rescue. And I'm just going to say that I think it's key for four quick points, four big reasons. Number one, knowing we've been rescued allows us to be honest about our failings. So when we sit down with each other, perhaps after the service, or maybe just when we grab a coffee with someone in the week or, or whenever it is, and, and you say, hey, sister, or hey, brother, how was your week? Well, because we've been rescued, we, we can reply, well, do you know, it was actually really tough this week. I, I fell into that pattern of sin that the Lord has freed me from, and, and I so badly want to be rescued from it. Or, or we can say, oh, do you know, actually, I really wanted to tell my colleague about Jesus this week, and, and I had the perfect opportunity Ah, but then I bottled it, and I deliberately changed the topic. So pray for me. I want to be rescued from my weakness. You see, there's no fronts here at CCC. We don't put up fronts here. No, we aren't people who are posing as good, together, modern professionals. No, no, no. We're people like Jonah who mess up, who fail, who need rescue, who are being rescued. That's our identity. Sinful people who are being rescued. And look, I, I obviously, I, I want to stay clear of politics, but just quickly, with, with the Pope's visit last month, um, there was a renewed interest in what Catholic Ireland in the 50s and 60s was really like. And it strikes me that one of the great tragedies of Ireland in the 50s and 60s was everyone was forced to try and put up this front. People were convinced that faith was about trying to be a good person, being a good Catholic. So when things in the background really weren't good at all, it had to be buried. It had to be hidden. Abusive marriages, no, 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 hide it. Put up a front. Teenage pregnancies, no, 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 hide it. Put up a front. And of course, worst of all, child abuse, no, no, hide it. Put up a front. Well, Jonah 2 says, no, that is not authentic Christianity at all. Because authentic, genuine believers are those who know they are sinful people in desperate need of rescue. Not ones trying to put up a front and, and trying to pretend they've got it all together. So there are no fronts here at CCC because we're people who have been rescued. Only honesty. As St. Augustine said, the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. So admitting we're in need of rescue allows us to be honest with one another about our failings. There's no fronts here. We don't put up fronts here at CCC. We don't need to. Secondly, knowing we are people who are in need of rescue motivates us to go and proclaim the good news. It motivates Jonah to get on and go to Nineveh. So in Matthew 9.36, this is just a quick cross-reference. Matthew 9.36, Jesus looks at the crowd that he's teaching, just in 9.36, and he says, that, or the narrative says, Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Do we agree with Jesus? Do we believe that without Christ, we are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Because if we believe it for ourselves, we'll believe it for others too. And we want to get out there and share the good news. You know, most of us live in nice, tidy, middle-class islands. And in a nice, tidy, middle-class island, most people on the surface look like they've got it all together. They look like they don't need Jesus. They don't need church. But when you invest in your friends and get to know them on a deep level, you'll realize that like the rest of us, even the ones that most look like they've got it together, well, like the rest of us, they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, as much in need of rescue as we are. Now, I've, I've seen that so clearly at my cricket club this year. There's, there's some really classic sort of cricketing superstars in the first team, international sportsmen with good-looking girlfriends, nice families. The way I, 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 know, I know what you're thinking there. Cricketers with girlfriends, come off it. Well, actually, it's a thing. It is honestly a thing for a couple of the lucky lads. And gentlemen. Anyway, it's a thing. So we have these, the, yeah, this batch of like, few of them real superstar sportsmen, real proper, yeah, great, just look like they've got it all together, look like life is just going brilliantly. But as my friendship has grown deeper with these guys, I've seen so clearly this year that it is not as pretty as it looks. So one of the lads, um, despite being a legend of Irish cricket, despite being a lovely bloke, I get on so well with him. Well, after a few beers one evening, he, he told me that he had tried to commit suicide in the off-season, tried to just end it all. Um, and as far as I know, I'm the only one in the club he's told. I'm the only one who knows. He just would not guess it. As I say, my dear friend, well, he is harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Puts up a good front, but that's what he is. Or another close mate. I've played with him all my life, and, and he's one of the country's best players, real up-and-coming, world at his feet. Um, but actually, when you really get to know him, you, you realize that his dad has never once bothered to come and watch him play. Never come. Not even when he plays internationally. And, ugh, I can see how much that hurts him. He is harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So as we come to admit that we, like Jonah, are desperately in need of rescue by the Lord, well, we'll see, begin to see it in others as well. And then just like Jonah, we'll head straight to Nineveh desperate to proclaim the great news about the Lord who came to rescue. So when you know that you've been rescued, well, you'll be spurred on to go and tell others the same about our great rescuer because harassed and helpless, without a sheep without a shepherd, we'll see it in others as we see it in ourselves. So there we go. Num no number one, it, allows us, it means that we don't have to put up fronts when we know we've been rescued, right? So when you turn and have a chat afterwards, you don't have to put up a front. You've been rescued. That's who you are. Number two, it allows us to see it in others. So we we'll want to get out to the great city of Dublin and proclaim the good news because they need rescue. Our friends need rescue. And thirdly, knowing the Lord is our rescuer, well, it frees us to properly and truly praise him. So you see, if, if we think that in being a Christian, we're actually doing God a favor, if deep down that's actually what's going on, in being a Christian, we're doing him a favor, if we think that we as good, responsible, moral people are offering our time to be religious and, and advance good living, well, then... Actually, well, we're the ones who deserve praise, not God. If deep down you're a sound person who's just doing, it, doing good for others, then, well, you deserve praise. So there's no point singing to God. But on the other hand, if like Jonah, you know that without the Lord you are helpless, hopeless, a drowning wreck, well, if you know that that's what you've been rescued from, then you can truly praise God. Because then God becomes our rescuer, our savior. The one who sent his son to die a brutal death on the cross to save us for eternity. Oh, then we can truly praise. 
We're not the ones doing God a favor. No, no, no. He is the one who's given everything to save me and rescue me for eternity. Oh, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Then I can praise him. That's a God I can praise. So when I get a right view of myself, I get a right view of God, and then I can praise him. And then I can try and worship him in, in every little nook and cranny of my life, even when no one's looking. That's a God I want to worship, the one who's, the one who's rescued me, not the one where I do him a favor by, by living the good life. So it allows us to properly praise him when we get a right view of ourselves, when we see that we need to be rescued. And finally, knowing we've been rescued allows us to truly make God our Lord, our boss, our number one. So think about the Jonah of chapter two for a moment there, or chapter one rather. Think about the Jonah chapter one. We don't have the whole passage in front of us. But if you remember, he, uh, he, yeah, he, he, so he's running away to Tarshish. And actually, he's not such a bad bloke, I don't think. I mean, first of all, he's a prophet, says Jonah. Yeah, it doesn't say, it doesn't say, perhaps it doesn't say it here, but it says in 1 Kings, Jonah, jo- Jonah is a prophet. So clearly there's quite a lot of faith there, right? Because he believes in God in the first place and God speaks to him. He speaks back to God. So there's a lot going well for Jonah, right? He's a prophet. And then at one, in one nine, when Jonah is questioned by the sailors about whether the storm is his fault, Jonah gives the perfect answer. Because he introduces himself by saying, well, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. Perfect answer. A1, Jonah. Spot on. Yeah, so, so he's, got it, he's, got it all right. he's got it all right, Jonah. He's, he's on the surface, a very good bloke. You know, he goes to church. Jonah does a bit of midweek stuff. I don't know, maybe he helps on the intro course, Jonah. He, he votes for Christian politicians. Jonah, Jonah, I reckon he even spoke at an event at university last year on why God exists. Gave a great speech, 45 minutes. Brilliant. Because when it comes to what is visible to others in Jonah 1, well, actually, Jonah's not such a bad bloke. He's grand. He's good. He's got faith. There's just one thing missing. He hasn't been rescued yet. And because he hasn't been rescued, he hasn't made the Lord his Lord. So it's the heart that's the problem, not the outward stuff with Jonah. It's all good on the surface. And it's interesting that you only see the true nature of Jonah's heart when there's this clash of interests. So you only see it's, it's God or it's Jonah who's in charge when actually God says something that for the first time Jonah really doesn't want to do. Because often as Christians, just like with Jonah, things can tick over really quite nicely. We can do pretty much what we want with our lives. We can just give a little bit of lip service to the Christian stuff along the way, and it's fine. We can be the boss, but we just do the Christian stuff as well. And that is exactly what Jonah's doing in chapter 1. He's the prophet, he's the good guy, and he gives a bit of lip service, but really, he's the boss. He's in charge. He's number one. Jonah's the boss. But everything changes when he finds himself abandoned, distressed, and hopeless, drowning in the depths of the sea. That's when everything changes in his heart. Suddenly, when life goes pear-shaped and he has no option but to cry for rescue, and in crying for rescue, he finally gives up control. He says, Lord, me being boss of my own life, it doesn't work. Save me. He says, I can't help myself from here, Lord. I need you. I need you to make my life worth living. I need you to save me. So he comes to this conclusion in 2 verse 8. As he cries for rescue, he comes to the same conclusion that those who cling to worthless idols, in 2 verse 8 there, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from, God, for God, turn away from God's love for them. But I, says Jonah, with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. So do you see that? When Jonah hits rock bottom, when Jonah cries for rescue, then finally he makes God's boss. He gives up his idols and makes God the number one, his one and only Lord. And once he does that, bang, he's ready to go to Nineveh. 
He's ready to go on the mission. So again, the question, is that you today? Which Jonah are you? When you look at this, which Jonah are you? Are you Jonah of chapter 1 or are you Jonah of chapter 3? Are you, you've got the faith, you say all the right things, but deep down, are you Jonah of chapter 1? Are you still banking on other things to give your life meaning? Your love life, your big salary, or sporting success, or just the good life, booze, mates, meaningful career, these other things. Are these things deep down still more important than God? And if they are, then have you not realized it yet? That living for other things doesn't work. It leads only to death and destruction. It leads only to an ever-gaping hole of purposelessness and insecurity that can never be filled. And when we lie on our deathbed, reliant on ourselves, serving those same idols, whatever they may be, well, we'll have no answers, we'll have no hope. And that was the Jonah of chapter one. He had no hope at rock bottom because he was living for his idols, whatever they were. Said and did all the right things, but actually, God wasn't his boss. God didn't make the decisions. No, no, Jonah made the decisions. Or are you Jonah of chapter three? Do you know today that actually, yeah, you have been rescued? And because you've been rescued, you've made the Lord the one and only boss of your life. What he says goes, even when it hurts. So when there's that clash of interest, your body screams, I want to do this. Or your instinct screams, I want to do this. But the Lord says, no, that's not my plans for you. Who sides then? Who wins out then? Because in, in chapter 3, well, Jonah doesn't win out. The Lord wins out then. So is that you? Is he your rescuer? He and no one else is your savior. That's the Jonah of chapter 3. And that Jonah is ready to go to the great city of Dublin and actually make a difference. So hear the message of Jonah 3. When you know that you've truly been rescued, hear it loud and clear, then you'll know that the only way forward is to live with the Lord as your Lord in every circumstance. And just as I close, can I just say that I know it's so true in my life. So often I go through periods where actually I only live for myself. I go back to living for those worthless idols that Jonah says in 2 verse 8. You know, whatever they may be. Deep down, I'm living to be a success on the sports pitch or, or living to just have the crack with my mates or living to be loved by the people in my workplace. And it's not that these things are bad things. It's just that they're never meant to be number one. And it's so funny because whenever I go through periods where I let them become number one, I get driven back to the same feelings of despair, of hopelessness, of insecurity. Because living for other things, and finally it hits Jonah in the belly of the whale, living for other things doesn't work. We were not genetically or emotionally engineered that way. No, we were made, we were created to live for the Lord. We were genetically created to live for the Lord Jesus. So we can't function any other way. So when we try and live any other way, when we try and serve any other masters, it just ends up in a car crash. It doesn't work. And yet we so easily forget that. I so easily forget that. And I turn back to the things that I was rescued from. Oh, how foolish we can be. So please hear the great reminder of chapter two. You, us, we, we are, have been rescued. That's who we are. And do we know that? So let the rescuer be your boss. Don't go back to living for the old things that he's rescued you from. No, let the rescuer be your Lord. Because when you do that, then, then you will have life. And then you will have it to the full. Now, and after you die, forever afterwards, if he is your Lord, that's where he's taking you. So just in conclusion, Jonah chapter 2, a great chapter that hammers home some of the key truths that actually shine out throughout Scripture. And again, like, isn't, it just, isn't the Bible amazing? 
Such ancient documents written by totally different people over 2,000 years ago, so long ago, totally different time periods, different languages, and yet time and again, the same wonderful truths shine out. The same truths shine out in Jonah 2 as shine out throughout, throughout Scripture. That to be a believer is to be someone who knows their need of rescued and who is rescued by the Lord. So as we close, it's such a loud and clear message, and I, re- I repeat it because I think Jonah too repeats it, that as believers, we are people who know our need of rescued, who have been rescued. And therefore, number one, we can be honest about our failings. There's no fronts here at CCC. Number two, we're driven to go out and proclaim the gospel, not just do the Christian thing in here, but get out and proclaim it. We're driven to do that because as we see our need of rescue, so we see it in our mates, so I see it in my cricket dressing room so clearly. Number three, we can truly worship him. So we can, we can worship him with our voice when we sing, and then we can worship him in every nook and cranny of our life because that's a God I want to worship, the one who's rescued me, not the one where I'm doing some sort of favor for him. And finally, well, when we know our need of rescue, so we know that our only option is to make God boss. Even when there's that clash of interest this week, even when everything says do this, but the Lord says do that, actually, we go with the Lord because as rescued people, he becomes our Lord, our only hope. Honest about our failings, released to go and proclaim the gospel, released to truly worship him and people who have him as our boss. That's what it is to be a rescued person. That's what it is to be a rescued Christian. That's what it was for Jonah to be Jonah. So let me, let me, let me pray. Father God, thank you so much that you have rescued us. And just I pray that this week you would help us be honest about our failings, You would help us to go and proclaim the gospel, proclaim rescue to others. Would you help us to worship you in everything we do? And most of all, would you help us make you our Lord? Amen.